grab your popcorn and snacks, find a comfy spot, take a seat or lie down, and let me transport you to a place of fantasy, ghost stories, ancient legends, odd creatures, alien encounters, and other magical topics. You may even decide to join the conversation. From faraway lands to your own backyard, with a small dash of pixie dust, turn out the lights and open your minds. The journey is about to begin. Good afternoon, everyone. How's everyone doing today? Well, I'm doing okay. <laughs> We've got a great show for you tonight. My name is Charlotte. Let me get my head on straight here. My name is Charlotte, and I'm going to be your host for the next hour. I'm also the owner of the California Haunts Paranormal Investigation Team based out of Sacramento, California. We are located up and down. Well, we have 54, 45 members. 45? Yeah, 45. Sorry about that. Uh, we have 45 members up and down the state. This is not my day. Up and down the state of California. And uh, what that means is we you can find us in almost every county, which makes it kind of cool. You can find us almost in every county of the state. I give up. And uh, what's happening is that uh, last minute I have to, uh, never mind, I'm just going to close this. I don't have time for this stuff. I'm closing. Okay. Just give me one second here. I got something going on here, and uh, I'll get to it in a second. It's just not letting me do it. Yeah, just close. Okay. Um. Anyway. Okay. Let me get back over here. Sorry about that. I'm preoccupied. Okay. Anyway, um, I'm back with you guys. Sorry about that. Anyway, my guest tonight, uh, Michael W. Hall, is known as the paranormal lawyer, and there's a reason why. Michael W. Hall is a UFO experiencer. And he's also, obviously, an attorney who has uh, sat on, on, on the state Supreme Court. And not only that, he has been an attorney for MUFON. He's worked with MUFON and other, uh, uh, other paranormal entities, uh, you know, UFOs and all that stuff. And he's represented people. So he's going to be on with us. Uh, last minute, he couldn't get into StreamYard. So that's what I was working on last minute. Uh, I'm, going to give him, I'm going to be doing a phone interview today. But via last minute on here, I was trying to get his face up, you know, so you guys can see what he looks like as he talks to me. So what will happen is once I get him on the phone, he starts talking, I'm going to be working Photoshop and back and forth. So if you see me distracted, that's why I'm still listening to him, you know. Anyway, you can find us at CaliforniaHaunts.org or CaliforniaHauntsRadio.com. If you're watching from Facebook, please, if you like the show, please, please join us by, by hitting that follow button. If you're watching from Twitch, please join us by hitting that follow button. And if you're watching from YouTube tonight, please um, hit that subscribe button. It's that little ghost with the magnifying glass and the Sherlock Holmes hat. He's down in the bottom right-hand corner, and that is our mascot. And that will get you a subs full subscription on YouTube to us. And that way, I see my hair is coming down over here. Look at that. Look at that hair coming down. And that way, um, you'll be apprised every time we have a video coming out. Okay. Also, there's 350 videos sitting over there on YouTube, and those videos are varying topics. Just like a good example of that is Mr. Mr. Hall is with us tonight, and tomorrow night, Nancy Matz, medium Nancy Matz, will be with us doing some readings, and the night after that, we're going to be talking about hate crimes and abuse. So, I mean, that's what I mean. There's, there's a little bit of something over there on YouTube for everybody, especially if, even on the website at CaliforniaHauntsRadio.com. There's a little something for everybody that might interest. And it's not always dark stuff. It's not, it's not always about abuse and things like that. There's also some light stories, like the gentleman I had on last week, who had done set dressing for the original two Star Wars movies. Right? That's pretty cool. So you gotta check that out. His name was Roger Christian. That's another one you can check out. So you could spend hours perusing all the videos that are over on YouTube, and I think you'll find something that you like. 
But anyway, tonight's topic, we're talking about UFOs, UFO experiencers, and things like that. It's a topic we like to talk about. Uh, I had an incident years ago where I'm not sure what happened to me, my friend and I. Driving along the highway late one night, but trying to get to the town called Elk Grove out here in Sacramento to go see a movie. I think it was, I can't remember, I can't remember what the movie was, it was so long ago. But uh, we were driving along the free, this freeway. And as a kid, my father used to drive this freeway all the time. I remember the old days when cars had hatchbacks. So I would lay in the back with the hatchback and I would look up, always dreaming of stuff. And uh, it was during the day, okay? And so what I saw was that the original freeway overpasses had vines on them and stuff, and things like that. And I, I clearly remember that as a kid. So that night, that evening, as we're driving down the freeway, and it's, it's still daylight, it's like 7, 38 o'clock, this is like August. And as we're driving down the freeway, suddenly it was like one of those photos you see where, where the cars are smeary, but you can see the lights. It was like that. It kind of looked like everything went into a twisty like that. And I remember when it came out of the twisty, I remember seeing the bridges as we went under. And the bridges all had vines on them like they did when I was a kid. Okay. Next thing I remember, it's dark. We're in a town called Galt, which is several miles out of Elk Grove. And it's like an hour later. And that's all we both remember is, 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 is being in this town. Don't know how we got there. So then we kind of we kind of laughed and said, oh, well. Looks like we've been abducted, ha, ha, ha. And we turned around, started the car up, turned around, went back to Elk Grove into our movie. But that is one of the experiences I've had. But I have seen things in the sky frequently in Sacramento. And a lot of times I used to work night shifts and stuff and come home real late at night. And I would see things, you know, on my way home. So who knows if, you know, if, if, some, if I saw something or, or what I saw exactly. But who knows what happened. So I kind of have a link to some of these guys, you know, some of these guests that have had contact with, with, with aliens or UFOs or whatever, because I, I, you know, I'm not sure whether I'm an experiencer or not. I've never been put under for it. Now I had a past life regression done that you guys all know about. But as far as anything else like that, I've never had a regression for any alien encounters or anything. But that's about the weirdest thing that's ever happened to me was losing time on that uh, highway. You know, seeing stuff as it looked like, as it looked when I was like, Six or seven years old in the back of my dad's hatchback. Okay, well, I'm going to give Michael a call, and we're going to start the interview. And like I said, I'm not ignoring him. I'm trying to get his his picture up so you guys can see what he looks like while he's talking. So just go with it, okay? That's all I ask. Just go with it. Here we go. Let me call Michael. I'm going to call Michael. Some dialing music. That's what I need is dialing music. You know, give me a second to set up, you know, everything on the computer here, too. Okay, let me turn the volume up so I can get them. But I have to have them on speakerphone because I'm deaf. Get this computer ready to go. Hello. Hello, Charlotte. Yes, how are you, sir? I'm doing good. Can you hear me all right? Let me try again. Okay, can you hear me okay? Yeah, I can hear you better now. Okay, sure. great, great, great. We're on the air, sir. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, it's so great to be with you today. I'm so excited to have you on. Can you tell everybody about yourself? Well, um, gosh, you know, they call me the paranormal lawyer. <laughs> I've been an attorney at law and a Superior Court judge and a bunch of other stuff for about 35 years in the legal community. But uh, I had always been interested in, in the paranormal and UFOs. Uh, ever since I was a kid, you know, started out with the uh, 
Superman comic books, you know, Batman and Green Hornet and Green Lantern and all those guys. So uh, then I, I kind of like graduated into the dime novels, you know, in the 50s. Mm-hmm. Uh, 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 George Damsky and George Van Tassel and those contactee guys who are claiming, you know, that they actually meet people from other planets, you know, out in the desert, that kind of thing. Um then, uh, you know, later on, and I, I got really involved later on in college and stuff, and I became a, uh, first thing was a field investigator for the APRO organization, the Aerial Phenomena Research Organization out of uh, Tucson, Arizona with Jim and Coral Lorenzen. Uh, but ever since then, uh, uh, I literally have, well, I went to law school and got a degree and started practicing law, but I've always... Uh, kind of been helping people in the community, the ufology community, in their, oh, just general general legal uh, issues that pop up every once in a while. Like if they need to five, uh, form a 501c3 corp, uh, they, if they made to have some, uh, you know, contracts drafted or even reviewed, uh, if there's any, uh, um, you know, uh, uh, NDAs that need to be looked at for, you know, clients that are going on the air on you know, ancient aliens or whatever, right? I've just always helped those folks because I knew them, uh, you know, just working in the in the ufology business for all those years. And uh, it's been fascinating. I, I have represented a whole lot of interesting folks in this field over the last uh, 50 years, really, uh, of my involvement. Uh, and that seems like a long time, but I'm an old guy. <laughs> 60, uh, almost 70 right now. Uh, and... Uh, Basically, uh, gosh, I even uh, started back in the old days. I represented uh, James Harder. He was the first uh, investigator who got a hold of Travis Walton after his uh, encounter. Um, uh, Dr. Richard Haynes from the NARCAP uh, Association, the pilot reporting agency, is one of the clients. Uh, of course, Grant Cameron, the famous client that uh, uh, discovered the Admiral Wilson smoking gun memo of the century. Uh, he's been my client for a long time, as well as Peter Davenport for the National UFO Reporting Center. So, um, boy, we, we could talk about a whole bunch of stuff tonight, Charlotte. Fantastic. Um, who is that? Fantastic. Um, when you talk about these guys as a lawyer, do you have to hear their stories? And had and, 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 and you believe their stories? Well, you know, I've been doing this long enough that you can kind of uh, discern whether people are pulling your leg or telling you the truth. And uh, most of the folks I run across uh, are quite serious in their um, telling of, you know, their um, their citing reports initially, of course, mm-hmm. uh, and, and then their contactee reports as well, potentially even abductions. So um, I, I have formed a, a group uh a few years back called the UFO I team. And we have a lot of uh, expert, uh, uh, you know, people on that committee that do a lot of things, including progressive hypnosis uh, with folks like Mary Kennedy on our team. And, um, you know, uh, lots of folks out there that have got some expertise in this area that tell me that these guys are telling the truth. Now, have you ever been an experiencer yourself? Funny you should ask. Yes, I have. Um, you know, most of my life, um, most of my adult life even, I, I would say that, you know, I never really had a major experience um, that drove me to this. You know, I just always have been 
interested in the subject. Right. But uh, on uh, January 10th, 2012, uh, this would have been um, a, you know, in the evening when, when you go to the, your, your, your children's, um, like, middle school parent meeting, you got to do it once a month. Right. I was doing that, and I'm coming home in the middle of the winter. I mean, I'm going in the middle of the winter up to my my son's school, mm-hmm. and uh, I literally, um, I don't know much, how much time we have right now, but I can give you about a, a 10, 15-minute uh, overview of what happened. That oh, night. go for it. No problem. Okay, great. Well, um, like I said, it's, uh, you know, one of those things you got to do every night. I was actually going through a horrific divorce at the time, and I was, uh, you know, of course, wanted to make sure that I could show the court that I was involved in my children's, you know, schooling and career. So, so I was, you know, religiously going to these meetings uh, and you go up to the, to the, uh, the middle school there and you sign in on the parent sign-in sheet. First thing you do just to prove that you were there. And of course, then I, I take a photograph of the sign-in sheet <laughs> as a lawyer, just to make sure that I have some uh, evidence that I was there. Right. Uh, and then we have the meeting, you know, go an hour and a half, have some have some brownies and coffee and stuff, you know, that they provide for you there. And after the meeting, uh, promptly at 830, the meeting ends. Uh, everybody leaves. And I just uh, jump in my car outside the school and roll down the hill, literally only about uh, two minutes away from the school is my house. And then I get out, park in front of my house, and I notice, oh, wow, what a beautiful night it is. It's totally clear and starless with a beautiful full moon hovering over my house uh, here in the Seattle area. And uh, and like I said, it's just kind of beautiful. So I decided, as I'm walking up the front steps to my house, uh, for some reason I'm prompted to take out my little iPhone 4 and take two pictures of the moon. <laughs> And I just snap them, you know, and I, knowing that, you know, when you do that, it's not going to be that impressive on an iPhone, you know, kind of a thing. It's pretty small. But uh, the next day at the office, uh, I go to work, plug in my iPhone to my laptop computer like I do every day just to kind of keep it charged. And uh, the laptop uh, prompts me, says, uh, would you like to download the uh, any extra any pictures you took last night? Mm-hmm. So I said, sure, I just clicked the mouse. And immediately the two pictures of the moon that I took pop up uh, one at a time on the uh, monitor of the laptop on my desk. And, of course, they're much larger on the laptop than it was on my iPhone. And I'm looking at this picture of the moon and I'm going, hmm, there seems to be a an equilateral triangle dark a black shape hovering below the moon in this photograph. Mm-hmm. And I'm going, oh, this, that's weird. I never, I didn't see that, you know, at the time that I took the picture. Mm-hmm. And in the middle of this equilateral triangle is a very bright red light, a small red light that I can see that's, you know, as, uh, symmetrical right in the middle of the, uh, the triangle area. So then I get curious. I'm going, that's uh, strange. So I, I decide to uh, run this, um, th- these photographs through an app I have, where you can lighten them up, you know, do a little Photoshop or right. something. 
And uh, sure enough, this thing really shows up now uh, as uh, it almost looks uh, like the shape of a lava lamp kind of a thing uh, with this red light in the middle of it. And I'm going, this is crazy. I don't remember this at all. Matter of fact, I looked at both of the pictures that I took. I took the pictures like, you know, about a second apart. And both of them have the same image hovering below the moon. So then I go to my, I decide, uh, I'm a little of a techie guy. So I I decide I'm going to go to the camera roll on my phone. And I don't know if most people know, but, but most people do probably. Every photo you take is laid down on your camera roll in the order that you take it. Uh, and it's there forever unless you, you know, erase them. And when I went back to my camera roll, I noticed right off the bat that um, the last photograph on my camera roll was not the two pictures of the moon, but it was the picture of the sign-in sheet that I signed in on at the school. And I'm going, wait a minute, that's impossible. I mean, I've never heard of a, a camera roll glitch like that, but in reality, the last picture on my camera roll is the sign-in sheet uh, for the uh, parent sign-in uh, thing up at the school. And the two pictures of the moon were before, just before that one. Now, I'm, now I get really curious and I start going uh, into the metadata of the camera roll. I don't know if you've ever done that, but if you load your photographs onto a laptop or a desktop computer and then right-click on the photo, there's a drop-down menu, but a, a few of them, that will give you all the metadata uh, re- relating to that photograph mm-hmm. or those photographs that you took. And believe it or not, here's the kicker. Those two photographs that I thought I took coming home from the uh, middle school at 8.35 p.m. that night weren't taken then. The camera roll says those photographs were taken at... 3.35 a.m. on the same day. Wow. 17 hours earlier in the middle of the night on the same day. And I'm going, well, that's impossible. There's no way I, I don't do anything at night. Matter of fact, I sleep with a CPAP machine. You know, I'm all hooked up. Um, I, if, if I don't sleep with a CPAP machine, I, I feel, um, I feel it in my throat next day, sore throat, that kind of thing, you mm-hmm. know, because of the snoring that I do if, if I don't wear my machine. Um, and in reality, I'm going, wait a minute, how did these two pictures get on my camera roll? And they correspond with the, with my thought, right. which seems to be a screen memory now when I look back now, of me swearing on a stack of Bibles, I would, that I took those two pictures in front of my house at 8.35 p.m. that that evening. Um, So that's just the gist of the story. There's a whole lot of follow-up weird stuff that happened after that, uh, just with trying to figure out, you know, if this stuff is, this evidence that I have is true or not, if there were any glitches. And I can't find any uh, glitches in the scientific evidence of the camera roll or the photograph, uh, uh, metadata, or any of those kinds of things. Um, it's It was a fascinating experience to me, and I don't remember 
what happened during oh man, I, I i i think i know what happened during that 17 hour period of time i think i went through my normal life mm-hmm. uh but i sure don't remember taking photos in the middle of the night <laughs> well i was at the beginning of the show i was telling everybody about something that happened to myself and a friend a few years back and it's kind of in a way it's similar to what you did what happened with you in that we were driving down the freeway and it looked like the the whole thing went swirly in front of us like we went through some kind of time tunnel thing oh and when i was a kid the uh, overpasses on the freeway always had vines on them and i remember looking at the overpasses we were going under and they had like vines on them next thing i know it's like an hour later and it's, it's pitch black outside Oh and we're sitting in the middle of this town. We're sitting in the middle of this town that's like an hour away from where we wanted to be. And Is to this, that right? yeah, and to this day we don't know what happened. You know, I, you know, in my sense of humor back then, I kind of looked at my friend and laughed and said, "Hey, I think we've been abducted." Well, how many people were with you during this? Experience? Just my friend. My friend and I were in the car. Okay, and let me ask let me ask you the old ufology questions if I could, if we've got some time. Sure. Are you guys still in contact? Yes. Um, was this something that uh, he, was it a he? It was a she. A she? Yeah. Uh, did she corroborate everything that you uh, experienced as well in your mind? Yeah. In fact, when we were driving, you know, as it got darker and we were in the middle of all this, I remember looking out the windows and we both commented because there should have been city lights all the way up to where we were going. And all of a sudden, it looked like there were no lights out there, like we were in the middle of farmland. Oh, wow. Yeah, and you um, you haven't had any flashbacks or strange dreams that relate to maybe this uh, experience, do you think? No, there's been nothing, nothing that I can remember. Yeah, yeah. Well, it'd be interesting to see if uh, you were able to go through a regressive hypnosis session if you came up with more information because obviously that is it seems to be a long time what is it maybe a half an hour an hour worth of lost time or yeah more? about an hour yeah. yeah yeah you never know how far you can go in an hour <laughs> yeah you don't know man you know it's just scary but getting back to your case i just wanted to say it kind of it kind of sounds similar in a way because like, like you say 17 hours ago and you're thinking well nothing really changed see for me it was like we just came out you know we were just there you know afterwards it's like nothing happened well and i don't know if this happened to you charlotte in your experience but i'll tell you what um the whole idea of screen memories i i know about and studied right. about and heard about most of my ufology career um i didn't realize that it, the screen memory uh, issue is so seamless i could not even tell you um when the real reality uh stopped and mm-hmm. when the screen memory started mm-hmm. in my situation it's so seamless it's just amazing how well they are able to manage that well that's yeah the same thing with me i mean all of a sudden we're driving you know and it was around 7 30 something like that like on an august night you know so it's been a the sun's going to be out for a while yet. And all of a sudden, like a, right in front of me, it looked like something out of one of those pictures. I'm a photographer, too. It reminded me of those photos where, you know, when they're taking pictures of cars in motion at night. You know, and all you see are the smears around them, and then you see the lights. And that's what it was. It looked like a tunnel. It just totally smeared up like that. Then the next thing I know, boom, we're sitting there in the dark in this in this field. Oh, my goodness. Now, did you... Um... 
you know, you've heard of people getting messages during abductions, you know, and warnings from uh, the ETs. Did did your life um, purpose change at all at that after that experience? I was already investigating paranormal, but I think I got more into it after that. You know, where I was, I was trying to uh, maybe help yeah. people a lot more than I was in the beginning. You know, to where I got to the point where I wanted to help and educate people more about it. So maybe that had something to do with it. You know, to my yeah, passion, I got real passionate with it. Really, really passionate. Well, that's not unusual. Where people, um, some people will change their entire attitude with life, or uh, maybe get. Um, more or less spiritual, mm-hmm. but uh, other people will um, just get intensely more involved in, in the esoteric and, you know, consciousness and that kind of stuff. So sounds like that's uh, been a driving force for you. I think so. I think so. Now, you as an attorney who works with people doing this stuff, when this event happened to you, and I, 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 and I, and I hear you saying, yeah, I'm trying to look at the logical way into this because that's what you do. Were you able to talk to anybody at MUFON about this or anything? Well, um, uh, I talked with uh, Dr. Bruce, Bruce McAbee, actually. Okay. Um, uh, you know, and he, he was interested in, he, he's one of those photo analyst kind of guys. Right. Himself. So I sent him the photos and stuff, and he was very interested in in uh, analyzing the photographs. He's, he told me that he didn't see any Photoshop. Uh, thing, mm-hmm. any hoaxing, uh, you know, um, uh, you know, telltale symbols or anything in the photograph. So, and I told him there wasn't, you know, on my part anyway. Right. And um, so that was one person I got to uh, um, talk with. And then, of course, uh, just other my clients, I've shown them over the years the the photographs as well. And and pretty much all of them are just kind of shaking their head, going, "Yeah, yeah," it just confirms. You know, the whole idea that, uh, you know, we're, we're involved more heavily in this thing than we really think sometimes, you know. And uh, like Grant Cameron, for instance, in 1975, he, he actually saw a major UFO sighting uh, very close, you know, probably within uh, 20 yards of himself uh, that ended up being called the Charlie Red Star. UFO up in Canada uh, that, like, just totally changed his whole life because he said this thing was right there in front of me i, I gotta figure out what it was you know mm-hmm. and he's been uh, you know researching ufology forever uh and uh, he's the guy that's um the expert in all, what all of the u.s presidents know about ufos or oh. or didn't know you know he's been visited all the presidential ufo libraries and gone through them like a mole you know getting all the info out of there interesting now, my, my thoughts, I was thinking, because because you were working with these different places, do you think that maybe you were targeted? You know, because because they, obviously they would know about you because you're working closely with these other people. Well, yeah, I, I wonder uh, why. That's a good question, Charlotte, because I always wondered uh, why I didn't have some kind of a, a memory of a, of a contact uh, until 2012. You know, I would mm-hmm. think that during my lifetime or as a, as a child or those kinds of things. I mean, I've got some strange, you know, anomalies that happened to me as a kid, but I don't right. remember a UFO sighting uh, or uh, uh, ET, you know, contact at all. Sure. Uh, so you never know how long um, 
they have been involved with you and or your your family. I mean, these things supposedly are uh, follow a genetic line mm -hmm. sometimes, you know, this contact and this experiencer thing. Um, matter of fact, there's a, a, a Dr. Kit Green uh, used to work for the CIA, still does actually, um, and, uh, and Gary Nolan and those kind of guys. They've got a program where they are studying experiencers' brainwaves currently. Oh, that's cool. Where, where literally they have a feeling that people who have experiences like paranormal, UFO, you know, cryptid maybe even, um, he thinks that they have different brain waves than normal people. Now, the real issue is whether uh, these people have different brain waves because they've been tweaked during an experience mm -hmm. or do they have the brain waves uniquely in place to begin with and that's why they have the experiences so this that's what their study is on this thing and um you know a lot of people are involved in this uh program uh and they have done mris and all that kind of stuff to map out uh experiencers uh brain patterns and they find that they're different than normal people that's really interesting because when you think about it, you know, it's like what I do is for you know with paranormal investigating, and people are supposedly born with psychic abilities when they're born, and then you know gradually as they get older, the abilities get put on the back burner. Yeah. So maybe it, there's a link in there with what the studies he's doing because it sounds it, it sounds familiar. You know what I mean? That maybe these people have these abilities and then and then they're born. You know, like you say, since it goes through generations for these contacts. Now, maybe there's, there's something, you know, because they're always playing with our genetics, supposedly. So maybe there's something within these people that, that act like a radar, you know, for, for these, these things that come back all the time. Well, you, you hit the nail on the head right there when you said radar, because uh, I've heard of uh, studies also now that says that uh, our DNA is not really um, a, a template of what we're going to be or what we, who we are. DNA, our DNA supposedly is more of an antenna that absorbs energy and information from the source, you know, whatever mm -hmm. the source is, uh, the universe. Mm -hmm. uh, it's supposedly that's what it does. It's an antenna. And our consciousness is not necessarily in our brain. Our consciousness is, uh, you know, something that is drawn from, um, from the ether around us through our dna fascinating see it's all fascinating to me just like in your case you know not you know the 3 a.m thing you know it's like if you read the book if you, if, you know well, you've obviously talked to a lot of experiencers my i think my most terrifying book that i've ever read is the uh it's in the mojave when that couple got taken in their in their pickup truck and then what oh, yes. yeah and then what the, the, the mojave incident and then what happened after when the aliens were coming back to get them and they would take them out of their house and float them through walls and take you know take them out and bring them back and you know like like you talk about the three the three a.m thing that you went through that maybe you don't even remember them coming in and put you know putting you through that i mean it's terrifying to think they could do this stuff oh it's just uh it's fascinating matter of fact Jacques Vallée, the famous uh, ufologist, you know, from Close Encounters of the Third Kind movie and stuff, <clears throat> and UFO 
same says that he'd be very surprised if this UFO phenomena is just ETs from another planet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he, he thinks it's even more complicated and sophisticated than that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, and the version I think that sounds really plausible is they're here already with us, you know, the hybrids and all that. And maybe yeah. these hybrids, I mean, they, they could be living on our across the street for all the heck we know. You know, and I think they're yeah. keeping an eye on us as well. You know, the people that they've been in contact with, that's their way of keeping an eye on us. Because they got everybody, you know, mixed up like that. And so that's how they can find us as well. Oh, yeah, definitely. And, and if indeed our DNA acts as an antenna mm-hmm. uh, and, you know, has some kind of a communication with the ether and stuff... You would imagine that each brainwave or each individual person on the earth has its own signature as far as uh, who they are and uh, individually even more than than fingerprints. And they could find you anywhere, even without an implant in your body. You yeah, know, absolutely, kind of absolutely. The other thought I had, too, and I have, I've had this discussion before with people, these people that come up with futuristic stuff that end up turning into reality. That's where I think, like you're talking about, there's some kind of imprint where they can communicate with people. Because you look at people like even Gene Roddenberry and the stuff that he's come up with, and some of that stuff has turned into our everyday stuff that we use. Yes. <clears throat> oh, yeah, I, I have a feeling that um, you know, advanced humans on the planet have always been uh, uh, contacted or assisted you know, by extraterrestrial help or mm-hmm. angels or whatever you want to call them. Um, as a matter of fact, uh, the scientist uh, that invent- that discovered DNA, um, Crick is his last name, tells a story that he was working on this DNA thing for years. And at one point, he um, took some time off and went to his cabin up in the woods. And he was going one evening out to the outhouse and runs into a four-foot-tall raccoon that tells him that tells him the secret to how to find what he was find, looking for in the DNA thing. Now, this is a Nobel Prize laureate that is saying that he literally received external help to solve the problem of finding DNA. Wow. That, that, that's incredible stuff, but I believe it. I, I can believe it because I've always felt that way. You know, when you look way back, even at Tesla yeah. and all these other people, were they coming up with these ideas? I know, I know there's intelligent people in this world. I know there are, but still, some of this stuff, you know, is just so way out, and then suddenly we're using it, you know? Yeah. And it's and, just, and, you know, go ahead. And, you know, we, we talked about um, the screen memories being so subtle. Right. Um. This information, whether you call it download or whatever it is, a prompting, you know, that you get, um, is so subtle that literally, as a young man, uh, you know, striving for my career and all those kinds of things, I think I missed a lot of those subtle nudges, you know. Now, as I'm older, I'm slowing down more, and I'm noticing them more Mm -hmm. often. You know, these little things that, that when you, it's almost like sometimes you don't even notice them until you think back mm-hmm. during the day. You know, what prompted me to do that? I'm, I'm glad that I did that. You know, that kind of thing. Right. Those right. things are so subtle that it's just amazing 
and that's why I think they they encourage you to do uh, more meditation, you know, quiet the mind, that kind of thing, so that your antennae can get that information that's going to be helpful for you. Absolutely, I agree, hundred percent. Now, in your, you know, with your clients and stuff. Which has been, and I know you talked about the, the case in Canada, which has been a case that stands out the most to you as, as being the most real? Uh, let's see. Well, not that he's a client of mine, but I know a lot about this case because of my other client work, that worked on it, but Travis Walton oh, okay. is probably the biggest proof case. If I was an attorney wanting to go to trial, Mm-hmm. on proving the existence of UFOs and ETs. I would want to go to to trial with the Travis Walton case. I mean, here's a guy in 1975, mid-20s, with a bunch of other guys, seven of them total, cutting wood up in the forest of the Sick Greaves National Forest up in, uh, in Arizona, not far from a little town called Snowflake, Snowflake, Arizona. I thought that was funny. You know, you don't really think of anything in Arizona with a name Snowflake. It's That's so true. Hot there. That's true. But um, literally, they're all done at the end of the night, and it's dark now, and they're coming back down the the mountain in their truck. Which I, I see this. I mean, I love the movie. Uh, fire in the sky this is what that movie is about travis Mm -hmm. walton's abduction but i love the scene in the movie where there are all seven of them crammed into this giant um double passenger front uh seat truck old thing just bouncing down the height of the road there um trying to get home they round a bend and all of a sudden my gosh, there's almost like, looks like a forest fire off to the side of the road up the hill. And they jam on the brakes thinking maybe they got to go out and do something to fight a fire now. And they realize that it's not a fire at all, but it is, there's a clearing around the corner. And there is a 50 foot in diameter or so circular craft it looks like two plates inverted on themselves hovering uh below treetop level mm-hmm. but in a in a clearing in the forest now just as the car screeches to a halt um mike rogers is the, the head of the crew and he's the driver travis walton was sitting in the passenger seat in the front seat um on the right-hand side, he jumps out of the truck immediately and starts booking it up the hill to see if he can find, get a closer look at this UFO. And it shocked everybody to see the thing, but it also shocked them that Travis was that kind of guy that would jump out and go look, look, look for it. Right. And he gets gets underneath the thing supposedly. And they're yelling at him, and then he gets a little nervous now, and he gets some second thoughts. Uh, he's initially hiding behind a bunch of slash pile logs that were piled up there. And when he decided that maybe he should get back to the car, the truck, he stood up, get 
get ready to run, and all of a sudden this blue beam of light hits him in the chest and knocks him like 20 feet in the air. He hits the ground like a rag doll, and they think he's dead. Oh. And they freak out. Imagine six guys in the in the truck, including Mike Rogers, the driver. And they take off down the hill, thinking that they're next. And they get about a mile or so down the hill, and they start, they realize that the light that they saw behind them is now gone. And so they, they kind of stay, take stock of themselves. And Mike Rogers says, we, we got to go back. And everybody in the truck says, no way, we're not going back. Are you kidding me? They killed him, and they're going to kill us. And then they say, well, it's gone. it looks like it's gone. we got to go back and see if he's okay or whatever. And uh, they say, well, we're not, we're not going. We're staying here. And Mike Rogers says, okay, you guys stay here. I'm going back with the truck. Now, that changed their mind real quick. They weren't going to stand out there all by themselves in the middle of the forest like that. So they all ended up going back together. And sure enough, they get back to the same spot. They know exactly where he got hit and where his body was lying, and he's not there. Travis Walton is nowhere to be found with no footprints or drag marks or anything like that of where he could have gone or been dragged to. And now they're really panicked. Now they got to go back into town and they got to call the sheriff. And of course, as soon as they do that, you know, everybody's thinking that they're the perpetrators and they killed Travis Walton and. You know, they're all suspicious, under suspicion. But a long story short, all six of these guys were given lie detector tests mm-hmm. multiple times and passed them and said he was abducted or hit by a UFO. And when they went back to get him, he was gone. So when you take a case like that, when you've got six eyewitnesses, and you've got the fact that Travis Walton was nowhere to be found for five days. And all of a sudden, he wakes up in the middle of the night, laying on his back, on the middle of a two-lane road leading to Snowflake, Arizona. Five days later, he calls his brother-in-law uh, on a payphone and tells him to come and get him because he's... He didn't know what happened. He thought he was gone for maybe an hour, mm-hmm. Travis did. Then, of course, he has the story of, you know, um, waking up aboard the craft and seeing these small, gray, um, bald-headed aliens around him uh, as he's on this table uh, working on his, his body. And, of course, there's some other stories that he runs across other that he tells in this thing of meeting actual humanoid people that look just like us, just humans that are in the craft as well, uh, wearing space ships, space suits with, um, with helmets. And inside this craft is a giant hangar with other UFOs inside the hangar and stuff. So, um, it's remarkable that uh, supposedly for being gone for five days, um, he was dehydrated, but he did not lose a lot of weight during that period of time.
time. So somehow he was being taken care of while he was missing. And he does have an incredible story. That's for sure. Absolutely incredible. I had him on uh, about five years ago when I had the show on Blog Talk. It was absolutely fascinating to talk with him. Oh, yeah. And I agree with you. The interesting part of Travis's story is that it really never changes. I mean, he doesn't embellish. It's the same story that he remembers, and he uh, he tells it the same every time. So, you know, a lot of times people would have uh, a tendency to elaborate or, you know, make up some extra stuff, and he's never done that. Absolutely not. Let me ask you something, too, that I'm curious about. Now, these people that you've represented, why, why would they need an attorney to represent them? Well, Here's the great example that's kind of timely right now. Um, Grant Cameron, for instance, right? Right. The, the Canadian ufologist. All of a sudden, on January 2nd, 2019, I get an encrypted text on my phone. Have, have you ever received an encrypted text, Charlotte? I have not. What, what are they? I have neither. I have neither. I'm going, what the heck is this? It's a text, but it's encrypted. You have to download some kind of a, you know, uh, app or something to be able to read it. And I, I didn't know if I wanted to even do it. Oh, Initially, yeah, that's I creepy. Get a hold of me. But I did, and it was Grant Cameron. Grant says, in a very short, cryptic text, Michael, I'm about ready to drop a major UFO bomb, and I need to run it by you as the paranormal lawyer. That was it. That was his text. Huh? And I'm going, what the heck? I mean, it wasn't really what he said, but it was who said it. You know, Grant Cameron, right? The old, the ultimate UFO mole. The guys come up. He was the guy that came up with the, um, um, the Willard uh, memo from Canada that confirmed that. United States had told the Canadian government that UFOs were the highest um, classified subject in the United States, even more so than the H-bomb kind of thing. Grant Cameron found that memo, you know, back in the 80s, mm-hmm. confirming that. He's the guy that's always there trying to find things in the background. He's been studying lately um, Stan Friedman's archives, which are just banker boxes after banker boxes of documents and everything and so i'm going man if he thinks he's got some major issue that's going to be you know dropped soon um i can't imagine what it would be and so i get back to him right away in a cryptid text that i learn how to do and i say grant i'm ready you know give me a call whatever you need you know text me email whatever now charlotte this is the weird part for the next nine days I don't hear a word from them. I am freaked out. I'm thinking, oh my gosh, that was his last attempt to get get out to somebody to help him before they they rubbed him out. You know, I'm thinking, oh my god. And I was scout, scouring all the news and all the posts and everything to see if there's anything that happened to Grant Cameron. You know, but I didn't find anything. Finally. Nine to ten days later, he gives me a call, finally. And he tells me about this 
this guy who came up to him after this uh, conference that he was at, UFO conference, and said, like a lot of people do, uh, Mr. Cameron, I, I've got a document I think you'd be interested in seeing. And Graham goes, okay, um, can you email this to me? Because i, I got to get out of here to go to another conference right now. Um, and I don't have time to, you know, talk with you much, but uh, go ahead and email. He said, no. He said, Mr. Cameron, I just need 10 minutes of your time. Just, just look at this document. He's very serious. And so he did. And Grant looks at the front page of this uh, Admiral Wilson memo, they call it now. Wow. And he says, Grant says, his face went ashen. He said, I couldn't believe the names, the dates, the special, unacknowledged special access programs that were listed on this, just the first page of this document. And at, at first, he didn't realize it was a 15-page single-space document. And he asked the guy, said, where did you get this? Now, long story short is that this document uh, came from Edgar Mitchell's estate papers. When Edgar Mitchell died, his family didn't know what to do with his paperwork. They, they weren't interested in ufology or anything like that. They were just going to throw this stuff out. And literally, a gentleman from Australia, who was a friend of the family, uh, took pity on them and said, "Well, he'll take them, take the boxes off of his ha their hands, and you know, maybe one day someone will go through them." That's exactly what happened. And literally, this memo was found in there, which is basically um, um, a document that was um, from the NIDS organization. National Institute of Discovery Science, Robert Bigelow, and helped put off a bunch of those guys that were studying UFOs, and they had commissioned Dr. Eric Davis, a high-ranking government scientist, a physicist, to try to track down Admiral Thomas Ray Wilson. Admiral Wilson, when the rumor was he was interested in UFOs and had some information about them but um he never talked about it in public so eric davis got this meeting set up uh to meet with uh admiral wilson and uh they they literally went through uh, an hour and 10 minutes worth of clandestine meeting in the back of the admiral's staff car parked behind the eg and g building at Las Vegas International Airport, uh, and uh, basically, Eric Davis is asking the Admiral about what he knows about UFOs and what his experience was in trying to uncover a specific unacknowledged special access program that did reverse engineering of UFOs. And so this document is, is found uh, it's basically leaked through the Edgar Mitchell estate uh, and given to Grant Cameron. And all of a sudden, Grant Cameron tries to figure out, oh, my word, now what do I do? If you literally, Charlotte, ended up getting the holy grail document of ufology, the proof, the smoking gun, um, you might 
want to call a lawyer too. <laughs> right, right, right. Wow. And that's what he did. And and for the next six months, Grant and I were the only people that had this full 15-page document, and we were vetting this thing, trying to figure out, is it disinformation? Is it, um, you know, um, something that other things in this thing that don't make sense, mm-hmm. that, um, that don't... Uh, jive and and for the next six months i couldn't find one thing that contradicted itself in the memo i mean and if you were going to draft a misinformation or disinformation document you know and kind of get it out there you might do it with maybe two or three pages and maybe name oh two or three names and projects that you could you know control because you you know, you know these people that you're naming. Mm-hmm. This this document names many, many people that are still alive and confirming that they were in the positions that they were in at the time and the special access programs that were being administered during that period of time. There was nothing in this document that was a glowing or glaring mistake. And so we're just trying to figure out, oh, my gosh, what do we do? Uh, Grant is a little nervous now because, for one thing, the, the document does not seem to be classified or top secret, but um, it does allude to in the document what we call core secrets, that there are certain core secrets that um, if they are leaked to the public, it totally destroys the entire program behind it. That's what a core secret is. And so we're wondering, you know, is this going to be a one-way ticket to Guantanamo Bay for Grant and myself if we even release this document or not? And so basically, you know, we he hemmed and hawed for a period of time, and then I decided, well, what we're going to do initially, Grant, if we if you want, is that we I will create a disclosure trust for you, where in reality um, we're going to fund this document in full into the trust so that you're not the owner of the document any longer. Uh, and it's a separate entity that owns the, uh, the document itself. Mm-hmm. And then you give instructions to a successor trustee in the document that tells when this document should be released and under what circumstances. So for instance, it's kind of like a, um, a protection thing as well, because sure. you, what you do is you create a disclosure trust and then you publicize the fact that you have it. You have certain information in there that's going to be released if and when something happens to you or your loved one or whatever. So it gives a little bit of a protection as well about, you know, what what could happen if you were actually, um, you know, intimidated uh, with this information. So that's the first thing we did. And then eventually... Um, Grant got a hold of uh, one of his contacts at the Pentagon, uh, who literally uh, ended up leaking the document uh, on uh, social media. Mm-hmm. And that guy, by the way, um, just came out in public a couple days ago. I don't know if you saw that on the news. Um, mm-hmm. He's basically confirming that he was the guy who uh, contacted Grant and was able to get the document out to the public. That's just an example of why you might need a paranormal lawyer. 
<laughs> That's a great example. A great example. How many people have have come to you for this kind of help? How many what? How many clients or potential clients have come to you for this type of help? Oh, um, you know, it's not a it's not a big uh, um, clientele, mm -hmm. but it is a word of mouth clientele. Uh, once you get involved with uh, you know people on the level of a Grant Cameron and uh, James Harder and Peter Davenport, uh, other people hear about that and uh, they get a hold of you. You know, I've done many of these disclosure trusts for other people who haven't even come out in public yet. You know, with their material, um, just because they've heard about me doing what I do. And uh, they think it's a reasonable way of going to preserve the information instead of trying to divulge it on their deathbeds. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I find this a little interesting. I never thought about, an, uh, you know, an attorney that would handle that stuff. It never occurred to me. Yeah. Well, and it's um, as as you know, Charlotte, the, the disclosure ramp has been getting steeper and steeper here just very quickly in the last few uh, months and even weeks. Um, it, it's amazing what's going on here with some kind of an agenda to red pill the public is what's going on. Mm -hmm. I mean, can you imagine having congressional hearings on this subject of UAPs first time in 50 years? Um, you know, that, that's, that just doesn't happen by accident. And the fact that they literally started in 2017 on the front page of the New York Times, you know, confirming the existence of UFOs after, you know, seven decades and more of obfuscation, you know, denial that these things even existed mm -hmm. and debunking characteristics and stuff. One of my clients, um, Chief Petty Officer Kevin Day, was the guy who uh, discovered the Tic Tac UFOs off the USS Nimitz Aircraft Carrier Group uh, on in Southern California, off the coast of Southern California in 2004. And he is um, testifying very shortly, I believe, on the whole issue of the stigma of UFOs that needs to be quelled uh, so that the public can come forth and report these things. Because in the, in the uh, service, when he was trying to report, you know, Get serious reports on these Tic Tac UFOs and how strange they were and how fast they were traveling with no, um, you know, um, wings or any kind of a, you know, engine or anything like that. Uh, he was, he was kind of like, uh, well, you said he it destroyed his career. He wasn't able to like continue on, um, had to take an early retirement and basically, uh, quit the service because he, he was being ridiculed. Wow, you know, you know. Let's talk about the Tic Tac a little bit. Um, yeah, he, like you say, he was being ridiculed for this. I mean, do, do these guys? Because I remember, you know, a lot of the airline guys that that see things in the sky, they don't want to report stuff because they're afraid of being ridiculed or getting sent to the company shrink. Is the military the same way? Yeah, the military is probably even worse. Um, at at one point. Finally, they're loosening up, and they, matter of fact, they even have a formal protocol now in reporting UAP in the Navy, 
and I believe the Air Force has it as well now. Um, uh, one of my other clients, uh, Dr. Richard Haynes, uh, was the head of the head scientist at NARCAP, the pilot reporting agency. And mm-hmm. I remember him telling me about the weird case of Captain um, Kenji Terahuchi from Japan Airlines, who was flying over Canada, uh, bringing in a load of Merlot, supposedly wine, uh, and uh, literally runs across a UFO, a round disc-shaped UFO the size of an aircraft carrier, he says, right outside of his windscreen on his uh, 737, you know, cargo jet. Mm-hmm. And when uh, Kenji Terahuchi reported this uh, to his home base uh, in Japan, they, they literally... Um, uh, grounded him and took him off uh, active duty. And it wasn't until um, Richard Haynes, my client, got a hold of Japan Airlines and uh, confirmed that uh, Mr. Teriguchi had done an excellent job of encountering this UFO and had mm-hmm. done uh, a stirring job of of uh, captaining his his uh, cargo plane. That that he was finally reinstated. Uh, back into um, a pilot seat because um, it's now becoming more and more accepted to be able to do that. Right, right. Well, that's what I find interesting about it because, I mean, I can understand the companies. I can understand the, the, the upper head, you know, the, the upper people in charge of the companies because they don't punch stories like this out because, you know, they think it's going to lessen the reputation of, of, of the company. But still, there's these guys are out there that have seen things. No, it's, uh, it's kind of a conundrum and a catch-22 for, you know, companies like this. But um, I think uh, more and more now, uh, this whole thing is hitting the mainstream media. Mm-hmm. And more and more people are willing to come forth and uh, and explain their experiences as well. So um, it's not unusual. As a matter of fact, I'm, I'm just waiting to see how the next congressional hearings will will go and what kind of uh, testimony we're going to see there. That would be very interesting. I think the first hearing was pretty much a, a, a nothing burger, you know, as far as just the details of what was released. But um, but hopefully it'll get into more detail now and further on uh, hearings. Absolutely. Now, let me ask you this. Do you think that the presidents have known about these things for a long, long time, that it goes way back? Yeah. I do, but um, all the way back to Dwight Eisenhower, for sure, and Truman, probably. Um, you know, President Truman um, created the um, security, the National Security Act, right after Roswell, New Mexico. That tells you something. Yeah. Um, and, of course, uh, Dwight Eisenhower was, you know, a uh, military general and uh, must have known quite a lot before he became president. And then, of course, he would have wanted to become uh, briefed on the subject, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. And, of course, um, you know, there's always the rumor that uh, there was a reason why JFK was shot to begin with, was that he was about ready to release information on UFOs. So who knows if that's a rumor or not. But um, I think the presidents know a little bit, but they are probably still stovepiped 
as far as the details of what's really going on. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know if you remember a uh, U.S. Air Force um, personnel by the name of Charles Hall, who was a weather balloon operator in Area 51 area in the 1960s, who claims that we were in full-fledged contact with the tall white aliens uh, for decades. Oh. And uh, and our military brass knows all about them and communicates with them. And, uh, of course, if they know it, then, you know, the President of the United States has got to know something, mm -hmm. or at least briefed on some parts of it. <laughs> so I think uh, for a long time, we've had the capability of uh, interstellar space travel uh, from our friendly aliens that have been giving us uh, exchange of, of uh, 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 tech for, you know, whatever they're going to do. <laughs> Absolutely. And one last question, sir. Since you had your, your, your experience, do you go out at night now and, and, and look up in the sky even more? Because I know a lot of people do after they've had an experience. Do I look up to the sky more? Yeah. Are you are you going out there searching for stuff in the sky more so? You know, excuse me, I gotta get myself a cough drop here. Um, <laughs> I think I've always done that mm -hmm. most of my life, but um, I still do quite a bit. Matter of fact, uh, I formed this group called the UFO I Team that goes out and uh, periodically does sky watches. Cool. And we see things every night that we can um, <coughs> capture on videotape and clear photography and night vision all the time. It's amazing what's up there. Absolutely, Michael. Uh, I don't know if you've, I don't know if you've seen yet the the new movie that I've been honored to be in called A Tear in the Sky. Oh, but that is a, <coughs> an amazing UFO documentary. It shows the, the video proof and scientific proof, otherwise other than video, of these Tic Tac UFOs that we were able to find again off the coast of uh, Catalina Island. Oh, fantastic. I'll have to check that out. Absolutely check that out. That'll give me something to watch tonight. That's awesome. Michael, thank yeah, you so much. Called it's called The Tear in the Sky. Tear in the Sky. Okay. And where, and where can you see it? I mean, uh, is it Amazon or, or, or where can people yeah, find Amazon it? Yeah, Amazon Prime, uh, Netflix, uh, you know, uh, Amazon, uh, YouTube. It's, it's all over the place. Okay. I'll check it out, too, tonight. That'll give me something to watch. Michael, I want to thank you for coming on tonight. It was it was, it was absolutely wonderful. Oh, it's my pleasure, Charlotte. <laughs> uh, sorry about the coughing towards the end here. I've got this <laughs> allergy problem this time of year. Oh, I understand. I would love to get you back on. I mean, there's so much we can talk about, you know, but this oh, was any, this was fantastic. Where can people find you, sir? Oh, they always find me on Facebook, mm -hmm. Michael W. Hall. Or okay. if you just uh, forget about that, just Google the paranormal lawyer. Sounds good. All right, sir. Well, I want you to have a great evening, get, get some rest, and uh, hopefully we'll get you back on soon here. I really appreciate you coming on. Okay, thank you, Charlotte. Have a great night. You too. Bye-bye. All right, that was Michael W. Hall, the paranormal lawyer. Wow, he had some really good stuff to say about this. Oh. 
I want to thank everybody who up with the show. We had kind of a rocky start, but that's okay. You know, I was trying to get that graphic up of, of Mr. Hall so you guys could see who was talking to you. But anyway, I want to thank you guys for coming. Now, again, if you're watching on Facebook and you like what you see, please hit that follow button. If you're watching on Twitch, you like what you see, please hit that follow button. And again, YouTube, if you're watch, if you're one of those guys that comes a thing for YouTube, I love YouTube. Please hit that uh, subscribe button, that little ghost down in the bottom right-hand corner with the magnifying glass and the Sherlock Holmes hat. That's our mascot, okay? Again, there's 350 videos, more than that, over there with different topics that you might be interested in. Tomorrow night, uh, Nancy Matz, medium Nancy Matz will be here. We usually, take, we usually have a casual Friday. Tomorrow we're going to have a casual Tuesday because our guest for Friday, Mitzi Zarito, uh, needed to have the Friday night, so I switched some stuff around. Now, tomorrow, kids, let's get the rules down. You can ask Nancy one question, and the question is, who's around me? All right? Now, sometimes, and I'm going to warn you guys ahead of time, sometimes you might think it's your mom, it's your dad, or some friend. It could be somebody totally different. If you guys uh, watched us on Friday with our discussion with Nancy, like Nancy says, sometimes it's a relative that that uh, you you may not even know that hangs out with you. And maybe you've got some uh, you inherited stuff from traits from this relative, right? And that's where they hang with you. So it'll be a fun night. So you, so uh, one question only to Nancy, and she'll get to everybody in the chat room, even if we have to be here two hours. You know, that's what we'll do. But uh, that's what's happening tomorrow night. So Nancy will be with us tomorrow night for that. And again, I thank you guys for coming. If you like the show, share it with five people. If you hated the show, send it to your enemies to get even. Share it with five of your enemies. See, it's like equal opportunity here. All right. Visit us at CaliforniaHauntsRadio.com or CaliforniaHaunts.org. And that's for the paranormal team is the ORG. Okay. Uh, you see that ticker? Oh, I didn't do the ticker today, did I? I got so involved with what I was doing. So I'm just going to do it without the ticker. Uh, but California Haunts takes no money to investigate or anything. So the radio show, the expenses to run the radio show, being internet and all that good stuff, equipment, computers, headphones, other things like that, plus the equipment that my paranormal team uses all comes out of my pocket. So if you could find it in your heart to help me out, keep the show on, keep really cool guests coming, that would be great. You could do that at paypal.me at California Haunts, or if you don't like PayPal, Venmo, okay? Go to Venmo, type in California Haunts, poof, up we come. But in any, little, any little bit you can do to help would be great, because, you know, we are trying to keep the lights on here and, and keep the show going. You know, we're going into our third year here in September is our third your anniversary, you know, our 30-year anniversary, really, of the show. So I'm real excited about that. But uh, I just want to keep going and keep what they say. The lights on, the doors open. All right, then, uh, that being said, I will see you guys tomorrow, 6.30 p.m. Pacific, with Medium Nancy Matz. Have a good evening. <laughs>